in selling that business, when we sold that business, that was my first exposure to a business sale. So that was kind of what hooked me on that. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Rare Accountants Go, the accounting careers podcast. I'm Mark Goldman, a CPA and your host for this show. Well, today we have a unique guest in that he only worked a few years, really just a few years in the accounting field before striking out on his own and various entrepreneurial adventures. Brandon Poe joins us today, and in addition to having a podcast of his own, he operates Poe Group Advisors, a brokerage that helps accountants buy and sell their accounting firms when they're ready to start to grow or maybe ready to start their practice or exit their practice, as the case may be. Brandon's had an interesting start, though. He worked in accounting, but quickly got into a small plumbing supply business where he was mentored and eventually became a partner and then also was a partner in a manufacturing company as well very early in his career. And then, of course, he later founded his consulting and brokerage company, Poe Group Advisors. So he has really been quite the adventure, like I mentioned. I think you're really going to enjoy his story. If you do enjoy and learn something from this episode, please let us know by either sharing it out on social media or leaving us a review. And I know I haven't mentioned it much recently, but we also have a few books out there on Amazon as well. You can find them by searching for my name on Amazon, Mark Goldman. They'll pop right up. Make sure to check those out if they're of benefit to you. Any sharing you feel compelled to do, though, is greatly appreciated. Well, with that, let's go ahead and get started with today's guest. Here's Brandon Poe. Well, hello, Brandon. Welcome to the show. Hi, Mark. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, for the audience, we have Brandon Poe joining us from Poe Group Advisors for the show today. I invited Brandon on the show myself this time, a little different than our recent guest, actually. We've been blessed with many, many referrals, and I really do appreciate that. But I wanted to personally invite Brandon on the podcast because of his niche. First of all, he's been very entrepreneurial in that he only worked a little while in accounting after getting his degree before he went on to some other endeavors. But also, his company, Poe Group Advisors, helps firms sell and buyers buy their accounting practices. And I think there may be much more of that activity going forward, not just due to demographics, but also due to economic factors. I think this talk is going to be very timely. So, Brandon, before we get into what you do now, I really do want to cover the earlier years because you do have an interesting story. What led you to decide on accounting as a possible career choice back then? Yeah. Well, it's interesting. So when I was in high school, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And interestingly enough, my parents were both teachers and they were art teachers at that. So they had no sort of business background at all. And I decided from a young age, I really wanted to own my own business. And I wanted to figure out how business worked. And so one morning, my mother, I think I was in the 11th grade, took me to breakfast. And I recognized a local entrepreneur in the restaurant. His name was John Steele. And we sat next to John. And my mother said, Brandon's trying to figure out what he wants to study in school. He's thinking about where to go to college. And so John turned to me and he said, well, what do you want to do when you get out of school? And 
I said, really want to learn about business. I really want to understand how business works. And he said, well, you should just go and become a CPA. He said, you'll get to see all of your clients. You'll get to see how they do things and how they run their businesses. And that'll kind of give you the education you're looking for. You'll get to work with a lot of different business owners. And he said, I think you can't go wrong with that. And I thought about it, and I was like, hmm, I can definitely see how you could get that bird's eye view as a CPA. And so that's when I decided I was going to pursue an accounting degree, and that's what I did. Just to be clear, was he a CPA? or No, he had like four or five different businesses going, and he was very successful. He was a true entrepreneur, and that's really what I wanted to do. That was my goal, was to be an entrepreneur. And becoming a CPA was just a means to get there. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. So did you, obviously this was pre-college, did you from then on just decide you were going to be an accounting major and that was the path? I did. That's exactly what happened. And I enjoyed the studying and I learned all of the accounting concepts and auditing concepts. And I was really happy in school. I enjoyed the curriculum and I never looked around at anything else. I just stuck to that path. Okay. So you go through school, you're an accounting major, and you graduate, of course. How did you get that first job opportunity? Well, I went to the University of South Carolina in Columbia, which was a pretty big school. I think back then there were about 25,000 students at the school. So they had a pretty big accounting department, and there was a lot of on-campus recruiting that was done. And I interviewed with all the big firms, and I had good grades in school, so I got interviewed by pretty much all. Back then, it was the big six, and I really wanted to go big six. That was my path that I wanted, so that's how I got my first job. I went to work for Ernst & Young after school. Oh, okay. Okay. I didn't realize you were at EY. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Something that struck me is interesting, and you know this. So when I reached out to you for the podcast, yeah, I was looking at what you do now and found that very interesting and wanted to get into that. But I followed up with a question later. So tell me what you did after your first job and what you do now, because there was a gap. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I found that interesting because the answer back was several other businesses. And so, correct me if I'm wrong, but it looks like you worked in accounting for, what, maybe three years before you became an entrepreneur? I guess fill in that time for us. Yeah, it was, well, (laughs) I did a lot. And I jumped around a lot because I wasn't happy with public practice. I was not happy in public accounting was really what was driving me. So I went to work for E&Y. They made me travel a lot. They made me work a lot. Back then, I think it's definitely different today, but back then, 90-hour weeks were not terribly uncommon, and they were basically expected back This was the early 90s, and it was a different, just a whole different work culture back then. And I was put in the audit department. I was working in big companies, which really wasn't what I wanted. I really wanted that small enterprise experience and exposure. So I left E&Y. There was a lot of turnover in the particular office I was in that year. And I only stayed at E&Y for about a year. And I did that intentionally. I went to work for a regional firm called Elliott Davison Company. And it was the largest firm in terms of the number of CPAs employed in South Carolina. And they had a lot of small business clients. They had mid-size, small, and they had some large companies. 
But I got that exposure that I wanted. I got to see small business up close and personal. I got to work and talk with the actual founders of these companies. And that was what I really wanted from an accounting career. And I got that at Elliott Davis. And one day, a friend of mine from high school called me. And he said, how would you like to make a career change? And I said, well, what have you got in mind? Well, he and his father owned a plumbing wholesale distribution company. There's some national chains out there like Ferguson. And you might be familiar with Ferguson. They sell like bathtubs and pipe and plumbing fixtures and all the supplies. And they sell to contractors and plumbers. I said, well, your company's not really big enough to bring on a full-time CPA. I said, I want to do sales work. I really want to get into sales. And so I met with him and his dad. And this is a guy that I knew since the eighth grade. He's a friend of mine, a really close friend of mine. And I always liked his dad. And his father was a really interesting guy in that he had to teach himself how to read. This was a guy that dropped out of school at an early age and just learned, kind of went through the school of hard knocks. His name is Johnny Dawson. He's passed away now. But he was a natural salesman. I mean, this guy... There were stories, just legendary stories in that industry where he would leave one company and go to another and all of his customers would follow him because he just had this giant following. And I told Johnny, I said, I really want to learn how to sell. I can do the books and I can help you with the accounting side on a part-time basis. And I'd love to do that if you'll teach me how to sell. And so that's what he did. And I was calling on builders and plumbers and I really learned how to hone those sales skills. And that was really valuable experience for me. And I enjoyed it. So that's kind of how that happened. And we went on and we started a little manufacturing company. We manufactured cultured marble, which is not really something that's too prevalent today. But back then it was a hot item. And we already had the customer base over on the plumbing side. So we started this manufacturing business and there were four partners. We partnered with one of the top builders in our town and It's interesting how we figured out how to do that. We didn't know anything about that business. So we found a manufacturer up in Delaware, and we got on a plane. We flew to Philadelphia and went to Delaware and spent a couple of days with this manufacturer, and he basically showed us how to run the business, and we paid him a fee for that. And we came home, and we started that business. What was interesting was how much different banking has become back then. We had a banker and had a good personal relationship. And I remember I went and played golf with this banker and told him we wanted to start this cultured marble business. And he said, well, do you need money? And I said, we do. Actually, we want to borrow some money. And I told him how much. He goes, yeah, we can do that. (laughs) That was pretty much the rest of it was a formality after that. And we got the money and I sold that business later on. And selling that business, when we sold that business, that was my first exposure to a business sale. So that was kind of what hooked me on that. Yeah, the financial crisis changed things. It did. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Wow. There was a lot more conventional lending done back then. Now the government's involved in so much lending that it's become bureaucratic. Definitely. Yes. So were you or had you become a partner in the plumbing company as well? I did. They made me a partner. And I can't remember when that happened. That was Gosh, I was young too. I was in my early 20s. And there was another partner that was a silent partner in the business back then. And I approached him about buying him out. And it's Johnny that the founder lent me the money to buy out the other partner. And that's how I 
got that partnership ownership. Okay. Okay. You know, I remember hearing at a very young age, if you're going to start a business, go into something you know something about. And so it's, mm-hmm. it's intriguing to me, <laughs> but I've seen other situations or heard about other situations where people were successful, even though they hadn't been in that field or it didn't look like they had. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Did you learn anything from your experience with that marble manufacturing company? I mean, it's, yeah. What yeah, I would call that more of a pivot than like jumping into something you didn't know about. I found this interesting kind of description of a pivot. If you look at somebody who's pivoting like on a basketball court, there's one leg that's standing and firm while the other leg lifts and turns. So you've got that stability with the one leg and you're turning with the other. That's a pivot. And so what I look at with that business was sort of a pivot because we already had the customer base. So we just had to learn how to build the product because we knew how to sell the product and we knew we had a ready customer base that we could just tie right in with what we already had. And that's how it worked. And it went quick. We went to profitability pretty fast. Okay. 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 Well, yeah, that yeah. makes sense. There is some similarity. Yeah. There is some common ground. Okay. Okay. So you're a CPA, you're a partner in a plumbing company, you're a partner in a marble manufacturing company. Why in the world let go of all that and start something new? <laughs> it sounds like the <laughs> may have been perfect. So I guess walk us through that transition to Poe Group Advisors. Yeah. So I was in the middle of a father-son business. And that was a very difficult spot to be in. And I got so much good experience from doing that, but they didn't get along very well. So I was in the middle, and I learned how difficult it is to be in the middle of two people. trying to. I was basically trying to broker different things back then, trying to get them to agree on business strategy and just day-to-day stuff in the business. And it just became obvious to me that, for one – the business was always going to go to my buddy that was going to be, he was going to keep control of the business. And I learned as a minority shareholder in a business, it doesn't have that much value. (laughs) It has as much value as your partners will allow it to have. Like you don't get to decide how the money is distributed. You're sort of, it almost became like a false sense of, it was like a pair of handcuffs more than anything. And I realized that and I became, I got to where I resented those handcuffs. And so I decided to get out and I started a small CPA firm on the side and I didn't really care for that too much. (laughs) I quickly realized again why I left accounting. I like going out and getting the business, but then I had to go back and do the work. I was like, ugh, (laughs) this is not for me. I'm probably less detail-oriented than a lot of CPAs are. and I don't know, for, for a number of reasons, it just didn't appeal to me back then. And So that's when I, I actually went and became a controller for, I don't think I mentioned this in my email to you, I was a controller in Charleston, South Carolina for a little bit, and I moved. And that's how I came to Charleston in the year 2000. So I went to work for a waste management company as their, as their controller for a while, which was a good experience. I did that for a few years. And it was good to have that sort of controllership experience because that was such a different, you know, you're looking at things in a very different way than if you're a CPA dealing with clients. You're looking at it more as a business owner's perspective, which is a substantial difference in perspective. Okay. 
At what point did you start Poe Group Advisors, or I guess what was that decision process like? So in 2003, I started selling CPA firms with a company called Accounting Practice Sales. Oh. And they were founded by a guy named Howard Holmes, and I went to APS. I think I was one of the original brokers that ever went there and worked with Howard Holmes, the founder, and just enjoyed that. Howard then sold the company a few years later, and I really missed Howard and that relationship and the new owner, who was actually his brother, made a lot of changes in the company, and that's when I decided to leave and start Poe Group Advisors. Okay. So with Poe Group Advisors, or it sounds like then Poe Group Advisors was started from day one to be in the accounting practice brokerage business then? Correct. That's correct. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And I had to work out a non-compete on that separation. It was amicable, but it was a little bit messy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you've had Poe Group Advisors now about 16, 17 years, something like that? Yeah. No, I've been selling firms since 2003. We branded Poe Group Advisors in 2009. Okay. So I think, yeah. Okay. So over 10 years. Okay. Yeah. All right. So when someone's had their business that long, I know it looks a lot different now you know, than it did back then. <laughs> what have been some of the milestones and what have been some of the more memorable moments along the way? Some of the, I guess, shaping factors. Shaping factors. Well, I took to this business really fast. So I liked it right away. Like I just which was so different than my experience in public practice. Like it was very different just to like something right away and to take to it. It almost felt natural. So that was one big, just early on. And I was successful right away, right out of the gate. So that was probably a big milestone. And I remember going to Howard and saying, man, I just love this business. This is so much fun. He goes, yeah, you'll get tired of it one day. and want to do something else. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I don't know. I really like it. And I do. I still enjoy what I do. In 2009, 2010, when I left accounting practice sales, Howard had been a mentor. There were a few people that were key mentors along the way in my career that shaped my thinking, really influenced my career in a big way. And Howard was one of those people. And it goes beyond just learn the details of the business. A good mentor keeps the person in mind. It's not just about, hey, let me teach you how to do this particular skill. And so I was searching for kind of some guidance. And I signed up. I had a client, actually, that we were selling. And he had this really large professional development number on his P&L. I said, what is this? You spent like, I don't know, over $10,000 on professional development last year and it might have been even more than that it jumped at me and he goes yeah I signed up for this thing called strategic coach and it's this group of entrepreneurs and we meet once a quarter and I said huh I'm gonna check that out so I joined strategic coach and I believe it was 2009 and I'm still a member of coach and it's a quarterly business coaching it's designed for people who own businesses and we meet once a quarter for a whole day. Right now we're meeting virtually, but I actually fly all the way to California for that. So I fly across the country four times a year for my own professional development. I think I only get eight hours of CPA, CPE for it, but I do it because it's 
really valuable. So for anybody who's early on in their career, mentorship is huge. It's a game changer. Interesting. I haven't heard of strategic coach. I'm in a business owner's peer group as well, the alternative board. And I'm familiar with Vistage and C12 and some of the others. But uh, interesting. I hadn't heard of that one. It sounds like a peer group for business owners. It is. In my group, there's about 50 in the group, and it's led by a coach. Yeah. It's a big group. That is a big group. Okay. Yeah. Well, so one of the items I wanted to talk to you about, just given your specialty buying and selling practices, is I guess from the buyer side, what buyers should know, because we have had a few individuals on the show in the last three years that bought practices, and that's how they started. Mm-hmm. Literally, there were CPAs sitting in a desk and in some company and industry, and they just dreamed of having their own practice. And so, you know, they worked with yep. a broker to, to buy one. And then, yeah, I've seen individuals buy just books of business as well, maybe not the whole practice. What do you think someone early in their career that's thinking about that from the buyer perspective? I mean, what should they know about the buying process? Maybe that they don't know <laughs> right, <laughs> based right. on your experience. Right. No, that's a great question. It's a, the answer could probably go in a lot of different directions. I think the biggest thing is make sure when you're buying, it really aligns with your personal and professional goals. I learned when I was, I think, 29. When I was 29, I moved to Charleston, and I got my hands on Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, the book. And there was a chapter, I think it was called Begin with the End in Mind, and it had this section on goal writing and sort of writing your vision for your whole life and setting goals. And I did that. I went and I got like a journal and I did exactly what was said in that book. And that has made all the difference for me is knowing what you want and why you want it. And not just for your career, but for your family or for your personal life, your friendships, your your physical health. That was a big thing for me because whenever an opportunity would come along and I was looking at, I mean, you can tell from my history, I looked at all kinds of different opportunities. Then I had something to compare it against. Does this opportunity fit with my goals? Can I fit this in? Does it align with what I want? And so many people buy practices and they don't really know what they want and they don't really have an understanding of what it takes to be an owner too. I mean, if you've been a technician and you suddenly want to put the hat of an owner, you got to know what that involves and you've got to know what kind of responsibility that requires of you before you jump in. So I think that's the first thing because there are a lot of different types of CPA firms out there. So just like what I wanted from public accounting, I couldn't get it at E&Y, not in the audit department. So I had to go to a regional firm to get that experience that I wanted. So it's the same thing if you're buying a firm. Like, do you want to buy a consulting firm? Do you want to digitize a business and create a cloud firm? Or what are you trying to do? What are you trying to accomplish? What kind of clients do you want to work with? Do you want to manage a big team? Do you want this thing to be, you know, so all those questions need to be answered. And for anybody listening that wants to check it out, we actually have a guide on our website under our frequently asked questions for buyers, if you go and look, there's a guide called choosing how to choose a CPA firm. 
you know, we kind of talk about those things. Like, make sure it's aligned with what you want and ask a lot of good questions of yourself, and then that'll help you. Because you don't want to just buy anything. You need to buy something that's going to fit. Okay. And, well, yeah, we'll post a link to that in the notes when we post the show. So I'm curious, is that part of your initial screening process or interview process, if you will, with buyers? Is there a process they need to go through on the front end <laughs> to, yeah. to help you? Okay. Yeah. I mean, we don't force people to go through that sort of that search, but if we sense that there's not an alignment, actually, we offer these resources when people register if they choose to use them. I mean, a lot of our buyers know what they want. They might have been in practice for a while. They're trying to add volume to their existing firm. So, yeah, with a younger buyer, we do try to guide them a little bit. A lot of people come in, they want to buy a little teeny tiny practice. And then when we really understand their experience and what they want to do and what they want to earn, sometimes we'll say, well, maybe you should look at something a little bit bigger or vice versa. You don't have the experience required of a a little bit larger firm, then maybe it's smart to start really small and take less risk. So, Okay. Well, I guess for any kind of buyer, maybe younger in their career or any kind of buyer, what are some of the common misconceptions you find that they have about the acquisition process? I guess the biggest misconception is that a long transition is always better. In other words, they think that it's going to be better for the client retention rate and better for the staff retention if the seller stays involved in the practice for a very long period of time. And our experience has shown us that actually that's not the case, that for the most practices, there are some exceptions if you've got some high complexity in the engagements, but for most practices, we want to get that seller out of that practice pretty rapidly because as a buyer, you don't want to operate in the shadow of the previous owner. You need to be able to bond with those clients and you want the employees to come to you for guidance and leadership, not the previous owner. So if the previous owner sticks around too long, it can actually hinder your ability to operate and take leadership of the practice. Okay. I'm curious, is there an abundance on either side in your business of buyers or sellers? Or what's the market like for what you do right now? (laughs) It varies by market. So Like in Toronto, we put a practice in the market in Toronto, we have a gazillion buyers for a practice. So it's definitely a high demand marketplace. In some smaller towns, they can take years to sell because there just isn't that much demand in smaller communities. So location has a big influence on the supply and demand equation. Okay. I'm curious, do you have a sweet spot for your business in terms of size of practice to sell? We're pretty much under $5 million on the, that's kind of our, our marketplace. So we'll sell practices as small as a couple hundred thousand up to four, five million. Once they get much larger than that, they tend to turn over internally or they're merged with much larger practices. Our sweet spot is kind of the smaller firm that's looking for an outright sale. Occasionally, we see some mergers in the marketplace in our market size, but most of our clients are looking to exit completely. Okay. Okay. So what does the future look like 
for your business, the you know, Poe Group Advisors, if everything goes exactly the way you want it to be, what does that look like in coming years? Well, right now we're on pace to be national, probably to truly be national in three to five years. We've got buyers in all 50 states and all provinces of Canada. We're national in Canada, but our footprint in the U.S. is primarily on the eastern side of the country. We are branching west. I'm talking to somebody right now about expanding into California. So we want to be national on the brokerage side. This year, just this past May, we launched a coaching workshop called Accounting Practice Academy. And it's designed for established practice owners to help them manage their practices more effectively. So we're looking to help them improve their profitability and decrease their owner hours and also just help them kind of get more into the advisory space. I think advisory, the CPA is the natural trusted advisor for the client and they're missing the boat. Most practice owners are missing the boat. They should be doing this. They're not doing it because they're too busy with everything else. So I would like to be part of the solution in the profession shifting toward getting more involved with helping clients manage their businesses better and so that's, to me, like, I see a accounting practice academy is, oh, what am I trying to say? I would love to see that really do well. And we could even start some in-person peer groups. And I don't know how that's going to take shape right now. Right now, we're just virtual. It's an eight-week virtual workshop. But I could see that whole coaching side of the business expanding pretty rapidly. I love it. You're pivoting again. I am pivoting again. Yes. Yeah. You've got the one foot firmly in the accounting practice area, and then, yeah, yeah, you're just changing the angle. <laughs> I love yep. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there are three questions I end every show with, and so I want to be respectful of your time. We probably better get to those. There is one more thing I want to ask you, though, because I'm thinking about your overall story and frankly, just some of the turmoil in the beginning of uh, (laughs) (laughs) finding what you really enjoyed. If you could go back in time and give your younger self just one piece of critical advice based on what you know now, what do you think that might be? Shift faster and trust it. Hmm. So I spent a little too much time in some places. It doesn't sound like it to you, but for me personally, I felt stagnant for longer than I think was probably necessary. And so if I could go back and tell my younger self, I'd tell myself to move quicker. Okay. That makes a lot of sense based on your story. Yeah. I can see that. (laughs) Shift faster and trust it. Yeah. Well, I do end every show with the same three questions. And so the first one's usually the easiest. From a career perspective, what's been your proudest moment? Realizing that all those goals that I wrote down when I was 29 had actually been met. I met just about every single one of them. It took me almost 20 years, but I did it. And that was really, a, that was like, wow, that's pretty amazing. At the time, I felt like I was really making some big stretch goals. But give yourself 20 years to do it, and it can be done. There's a lesson in there about writing down goals, for sure. <laughs> yep, yep. Well, second question, tell us about a lesson that you learned the hard way. And the more you're willing to tell us about the situation, the better, because that's how everyone learns from it. Yeah. Oh, gosh, I've learned just about everything the hard way, I think. (laughs) (laughs) 
I learned the hard way just that for me, stagnation is the worst. It's just the worst. And so I've learned that by being stagnant for too long. And now when I feel that set in, I kind of look inward and say, okay, what's bothering me about this situation? And then think about, okay, now what can I do to change it? And then you act. So uh, that's for me. I mean, I think that was a hard lesson to learn because I spent a lot of years. I spent too long in public practice, really. I mean, I spent a little bit longer than I needed to to get what I needed from it. So patience is uh, not one of my (laughs) – I know patience is a virtue. It's not one that I have in spades. So. Yeah, I can see you getting restless pretty easy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, last question, and then we'll go ahead and close it down. What's the best piece of advice that you have ever received? Progress, not perfection. It's probably something Dan Sullivan, a strategic coach, says over and over again. It's progress, not perfection. And a lot of times what keeps you stagnant and keeps you from doing something is you think it has to be perfect. And what really is true is you just need to get started. Yeah. Yeah. My business coach says that, yeah, you can't steer a parked car. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Beautiful. Well, thank you. This has been a wonderful interview. I learned some things about your business. And actually, I didn't realize we were going to get into the business coaching realm. I think there's a lot of value there as well. What's the best way if people want to follow up with you and find out more about what you do or find out more about Poe Group Advisors, what's the best way to find out more or to contact you? Well, we have a very resource-rich website at pogroupadvisors.com, and there are tons of free downloads. I have a podcast as well so people can listen in. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn. Just look me up, Brandon Poe, and that's probably the two best ways to learn more. What's the name of the podcast? The Accountant's Flight Plan Podcast. Accountant's Flight Plan? Accountant's Flight Plan, which is the same title as the book that I wrote that was published years ago about practice management. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, thank you again, Brandon. I really appreciate you taking out time for this. I think you educated all of us in many ways. So thank you very much. Well, thank you, Mark. It's been a pleasure. Well, that was our interview with Brandon Poe of Poe Group Advisors. And I don't know about you, but I found him to be just very down to earth and very well grounded for someone that's been so entrepreneurial and had their hands in so many different businesses. I don't know why, but I was expecting a little something different. And honestly, it was refreshing to speak to someone that just seems like they have everything in order. It was a really refreshing interview. I know he's a busy guy, and so I really appreciated him sharing his time with all of us. Well, once again, if there's anything I can do for you personally, please feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm very findable. Just search for Mark Goldman. And with that, I think we'll end the show for today. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been Where Accountants Go, the Accounting Careers Podcast. I'm Mark Goldman, a CPA and your host for this show. And we'll see you all next week. There's more to come.